0: Welcome to the podcast, The Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning, church. Welcome to church this morning. Great to see your sunny and smiling, happy faces I was thinking about the tour to Brisbane next week. For those that are a bit concerned how you might get here, you could always ride here. I, I'd love to look out and see like half the congregation in Lycra as we... Uh, <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm kidding. <clears throat> I actually wouldn't want to look out and see that whatsoever. Um, hey, good to have you in church and uh, great to be part of our, our run into King Jesus. You know, we're speaking about King Jesus. You know, it's just one of the great... Subjects to be able to focus on as a church and open the Bible in and really celebrate as we move towards Easter. You know, as Susan said, it's the pinnacle. It really is the part of our faith that we look to and we celebrate. But this morning, what I'd love to do is just set a slightly bigger context for Easter. You know, sometimes I think we reduce this gospel story, the good news story, simply to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's not that that's not important. Of course, it is critically and wonderfully and extravagantly important in the story of the gospel. But God has a bigger plan for us. And the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus was all about accomplishing the bigger plan, the greater dream that God has always had in his heart to us. And I believe that God this morning wants to Tap us on the shoulder and open our eyes to a broader narrative, something bigger, so that as we come to Easter, and as we begin to put ourselves in that that road towards the cross and then the resurrection story of Sunday, we can step back a little bit and say, "God, I can see what you are doing. I see the love that you had towards us, and something in our hearts just gets warmer and closer to God as we do that." So. Let's, let's look at that this morning. We're going to open the Bible a fair bit today. I hope that's okay with you. We're going to, you know, if you can't open the Bible in church, where can you open the Bible? So we're going to, we're going to go through a bit of Scripture this morning as we look at this whole story and maybe in a slightly different context. You know, one of the things that, that I believe that the human heart aches for is freedom and liberty. Of all the things you could accumulate, of all the things that you could add to your life, and people spend their life trying to accumulate things, have experiences, form relationships. We try to stuff the wardrobe of our life full of things that we hope will bring us a sense of freedom and liberty. We want the inner peace that comes from some of these things. We, we look at the creation, but the challenge is we place the creation where we should place the creator. And we get the priority wrong. We, we try to put the things that he has given us, the wonder and the splendor of this world, which he's allowing us to enjoy. He puts us in this world with, with the abundance that this world has so that we can open our eyes and enjoy the life he gives us. But it's not the things he gives us that brings the joy. It's the person who brings the things. It's the person of God. And, and if we can catch a vision of him, then the things he gives us are in their rightful order. Holy Spirit, I believe, is inviting us into a story, a grander story that's been in the heart of God. And if you like, it's, it's as if we're waking up. It's as if our inner life is starting to come alive with the understanding of God. God's goodness, we sang about it today, his goodness is, is so wonderful. But the challenge is he's an infinite God and his goodness is, knows no boundary. And we don't have that ability. We have boundary. We want to try and reduce it all down to something that we can grasp. And and that's okay too. But we've got to realize that as we walk further and deeper into God, His goodness will open up more and more. We'll begin to see more of Him. How wonderful will eternity be because we'll explore the very being of God. He'll give us the chance. We'll have more time to do it. And uh, how exciting that will be, but that's not my subject today. I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. I find this scripture really confronting. I find it very confronting because I think it's pointing to something that as we accept what it's trying to say, it actually forces us to confront some deep insecurities as people that we hold. God's trying to put a picture inside me, but there's something inside me that wants to resist that thing, resist that message. And this scripture kind of speaks to that. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 and 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can I ask you this morning, what do you see when you look in a mirror? When you look into a mirror, what are you seeing? You're seeing your reflection, aren't you? Paul's writing this and he's saying, there's a picture I want you to get here. He's saying, when you look into the mirror, you're not seeing the reflection of yourself according to how you have designed it, but there is a picture of the glory of the Lord that you need to see when you look in the mirror, that there is something that God has designed you for, he has birthed for you to have as your inheritance, as, all, as part of his kingdom, that actually is a glorious version of you. There is you fully healed, fully whole, fully transformed, fully at peace, filled with the joy of the Lord, dancing and skipping through all kinds of different challenges and circumstances, but poised knowing that your Father in heaven who loves you, approves you, has you in the palm of his hand. And you couldn't be more safe, you couldn't be more found. And there's a picture, there's a glory in that, that God has spent his entire uh, planning and the whole narrative of this word that we study so that you would come to the realization of that glory that he wants you to adopt. So that you could actually stand in a place and look to the heavens and say with all of the warmth and love in your heart, Father, Father. And everything inside you mean it that you would feel the fatherness of God and know that you are a son and daughter of him is the greatest prayer you could ever pray. It fully sums up the entire narrative of this, this book that we study, that your heart would open to him and say, Abba. The joy that's in that, the foundness that's in that, there's nothing like that to heal your heart, to set you free. Worship is really quite simple, really. This, what I love about God is it's great complexity, but it's very quite simple, really. I just want to love my father. I want to have a dad that I know knows me. He knows you. With unveiled face. Just look past the law. It sits in the context if you read the rest of it about the law of Moses and the whole idea of what I have to do in order to become acceptable in the sight of God. But if I take the veil off of my own need to, to create that framework of, of acceptance and you know, uh, make myself worthy, I look into the gift of the mirror and it's a gift to me. God has already accomplished something. This morning I want to have a look at that. I want us to look in the mirror. And let's see what else there might be there. We're going to turn to the book of John, Gospel of John. Just read a few scriptures in that. We're going to go back to the beginning. And the point of going back to the beginning is just so we can take a pause before we position the Easter story in this context. John chapter 1 and verse 1, right at the beginning, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The deepest truth you can ever say about Jesus is that he is God. Jesus is God. You've got to understand that God the Father, God the Word, and God the Spirit, the triune relationality, perfect communion, perfect oneness, perfect fellowship, Perfectly in unity together, of one mind, extravagant love for each other, pouring into each other. Of one mind, they act together relationally. They are unable to be pulled apart, changed in any way. They are three persons, but one God. One of the great mysteries of the Bible, but one of the great truths of who God is. And we've got to understand that the Word, the second person of the Trinity, that's the Word that. Susan read before, who left that place and came and stood on this earth. The word became flesh. But that's God. So when Jesus walked on the earth, the Trinitarian relationship hadn't busted up. It wasn't like two in heaven and one on earth. It wasn't. There were still three. The three of them walked through this world together. And when Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves from the boat, and the boat was being rocked and he said, peace be still. It was the creator himself. The word that spoke into being the heavens and the earth was speaking to the winds and the waves. No wonder they obeyed him. And no wonder he wasn't afraid of them. He just spoke to them and they calmed the word of God. And in this exquisite relationship, this perfect connection of father, son and spirit, out of that, de- out of that relationship, a decision was made. To create the heaven and the earth. To create the cosmos that we know today. God was not lonely, folks. <laughs> you know, you often people say, God was lonely, so he decided to create us. That's not true. God was in perfect relationship with himself. He wasn't lonely. He was perfection. He had a perfect connection. But what he did do when he created was, he created with a vision in mind that his creation would always be part of that perfect relationship. I think we get a picture sometimes that the creation is this idea that the three of them created the heavens and the earth, and it's like they wound us up, like with a big sort of winder, and they set it down there and said, okay, let it go. Let's see what happens. As if now God is outside of this thing he's created, just wondering if they'll choose him or not. That's not the picture of the word of God. Let's keep reading a bit more in John chapter 1 verse 3. All things were made through him, who? Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. There is a really important truth to understand here that Jesus is the one by whom, through whom, for whom, and in whom, a lot of whoms, all things have been created. In other words, the whole shooting match came out of his word and is upheld by the word of his power. So whether or not a person knows God or not, they exist because they sit in Jesus. Now they may not be aware of the lordship of the saviour of the world and who he is, but they cannot have existence unless Jesus said it can be put so. God has to ordain it. So life is a gift from God. Jesus created it. Jesus upholds it. And he is forever God. So the world exists today because the hand of the grace of God says it can. The air that you breathe is the air that Jesus provided your lungs to breathe. In him, through him, for him, the whole thing is Jesus. He is the centre of the universe. It's why he's called the Logos. He is the great logic. It all makes sense because Jesus is in the middle of it. Jesus Colossians 1 says this even clearer, verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things exist. Could you get any clearer? It's as clear as that. So we're all breathing Christological air whether we know Jesus or not. That's a little bit of a theological mouthful, but just let it sit with you for a minute. Whether you've confessed him as Lord and Saviour, whether you choose to follow him today or whatever, that's a separate decision. But your existence is because of Jesus. Now, we can come up with every theory in the world. You can create every bit of science you like. You can have every philosophical framework, both postmodern and post-church and anything else you want it to be. But at the end of the day, the truth of the Word of God is this. Jesus created you. Your life is because he lets you have it. And we are in him, but we need to wake up. Because what being born again is, is that our life is because of his grace, but his lordship comes by revelation. It comes because the spirit of God says, hey, it's not all about you. It's actually about him. And we can't find him unless the spirit of God takes us there. But when he does and he taps us on the shoulder and we open our eyes for the first time, we go, Jesus, wow, you love me. I don't know what your first words were when you were born again. But your heart said, I see something I've never seen before. That was the kindness of God that showed you. And you began a wonderful journey from that moment where your eyes were open to a God in heaven. And you began the journey of trying to understand who He is and who you are as a result of that being true. But while you're going through that journey of discovering him, your life is a gift from him. Still. It still is because of him. He has created it all. And here's the kicker. When Jesus walked on the earth, the Trinity was still intact. It was still Father, Son and Spirit. He didn't leave the footy team to come here. The team stayed the team. The unity stayed the unity because He was still holding all things. I know we, we focus a lot on, the, sometimes the humanity of Jesus. It's important because we get to see the life of God and how we can emulate the life of Christ. And it's really important to see Jesus through that eyes. But let's not forget the divine power of who He is. He's God. It's the great mystery. Jesus has always sat in the middle of the Godhead, and creation has always sat in Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus has always sat in the middle of the Godhead, and creation has always sat in him. Always. It's never lost its place. Yes, sin entered our story. This idea of selfish will, where it's not the Father's will, but my will. Now, that doesn't exist in the Trinitarian relationship. The three of them are a perfect unity, a perfect unity of love, a perfect unity of will. There is no such thing as somebody else's will. It's one will, and they submit to each other perfectly. And so we weren't able to do that, and God knew it. And that's what we call sin, this idea that, no, it's my will, not your will, God. That's the disease of sin. Whatever comes out of that is just the fruit of sin. But the real disease is the idea that I know more than God does and I'll be okay without him in its ultimate expression. But see, you got to understand, God never lost control of this world. God never lost the earth. When man sinned, when humankind went their own way, did their own thing, God wasn't sitting there saying, did anybody see that coming? Holy Spirit, did you see that? Jesus, did you see that coming? I didn't get that. I don't understand. We set them up. We wound them up. We stepped back. We waited for them to do to choose us, and they didn't do it. We better come up with another plan. Back to the boardroom. Let's go and work out what we're going to do. Well, we're going to have to set this whole thing up through a covenant with Abraham, and then we're going to have to do something, and we'll create a nation of Israel, and then there'll be the we'll, Messiah will be prophesied through that, and there'll be blood, and there'll be goats, and there'll be all kinds of things. There'll be six hundred and fifteen laws, and I think we kind of get this idea that this whole thing was Plan B, that God's kind of kind of quickly got to resurrect some plan to come rescue us because we just kind of mucked it all up. That's so not what. God did. Let's look at this, can we please, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. It's a stunning piece of scripture. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. I often say to our GMS students, I hope this never comes to this day, but if anybody ever says to me, you can't have Bibles anymore, I'm going to very quickly rip out Ephesians (laughs) and stuff it in my back pocket. It's going to be the one book that I'm going to keep, one way or the other. Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him, just as who's He, just as the Father chose us in Him, the Son, before the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. Before the foundation of the world, before there was let there be light. There was a choosing that happened in God. God had already purposed in the Father's heart that the Son, the Word, would become flesh. There was going to be a visitation from God. God was going to join His creation and He was going to ensure that we never lost the unity between ourselves and Him. None of this was put to chance. This was a plan in the heart of God before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. God has a dream for you, that you are holy and without blame before Him in love. Not when you die and go to heaven, but now. Now there is a vision from God. There is a declaration in the Spirit over your life right now. The price has been paid. Sin has been rolled back. There is nothing more to do. There's no need to hold on to our shame and unworthiness or the things that we feel are our reasons to look back and say, oh God, but you'd you'd never accept me. God is trying to wake us up to say, wait, can you see my big plan here? I was never letting you go. I was never letting you go. That you'd be holy and without blame. And this whole idea of before the foundation of the world, just have a look at some of these scriptures. We don't have time to unpack them all. If you want to take a photo of them or, or look them up later, read them in life group, fantastic. It's not just Paul that speaks this way. See, the apostles knew something. And they just took it for granted. We have to go digging to find it. But it, they, they knew it. They, they lived in this belief system that I think over the years, over the hundreds of years, we've lost this understanding about the great design and plan of God. First Peter says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. The decision in the Godhead was made before creation. Revelation, John says, The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Matthew says, Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of the Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hebrews, the um, unknown writer of Hebrews says, for we who have believed do enter that rest, the works that were finished from the foundation of the world. was the word became flesh was a decision made by God before he said, let there be light. So in other words, the first created act of God was the recreation of himself. Wait, let that sit for a minute. Why? Because Philippians 2 was Jesus said it wasn't mockery to be equal with God, because he was, he was God. But he laid aside his divinity, taking on the form of a man. Jesus took on the form of a man means he changed his composition. He changed who he was, the way his being has forever been altered. He is now a resurrected man but fully God. He is God and man fused in one of the greatest mysteries that the universe will ever, ever know. But he is forever changed. So the decision to create the world involved radical change for the Godhead. They were going to not let this go. They were going to enter the story. They were always coming to be a part of us because they had a dream for what they wanted for us. And somehow we've got to start to soothe this idea that we're in the far country. We're way, away, away, And somehow or other, we've got to fight our way forward to see if we can somehow find God as if somehow or other God's hiding himself from us. He's done the exact opposite. He's put himself front and centre so that you can find him. Do you ever wonder how Genesis 1 is true? when the Bible says that God created man in his image and after his likeness. The reason why God could create man in his image is because when God formed the body of a man out of the dust of the earth, he was forming a container that he was going to put his son in. Jesus was going to walk in that same container. Jesus was born as a human. That human was formed in the mind of God. God put Adam into it as a human but the son was coming see God thinks four dimensionally God sees that he's coming he builds the man the body the wonderful science of the body that you walk around in and breathe and live and the incredible processes going on just as you sit here this wonderful dream of God he was going to come and walk in it himself he was building it for his son you ever think about that and so he put us in it as well See, we're not the center of the universe. It's Jesus that is. He's the center. He was, this is his body too. He was going to walk in it. So we're made in the image and the likeness of God because God made himself in this image. He changed himself to be part of us. How incredible. It, it blows my mind. But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep reading in Ephesians. We read chapter 1 and 3 to 4, but we'll just pick it up a little bit later. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters, ladies. It's, uh, it's sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. That's capital B. Who do you think the beloved is? Father, Son, Spirit. Accepted in the beloved. Why are we accepted in the beloved? Because Jesus in the center of the Trinity and sitting in the center of Jesus is creation. Jesus has taken away the sting of death and sin, and now he presents us. When Jesus was on the cross, he took all of creation. He took all of humanity through the death and out the resurrection. He has removed the stain of sin across all of creation. It is gone forever. It is gone forever. It's why in Romans it says, For if by one man's offense death reigns through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Christ Jesus. Sometimes I think we put too much focus on Adam's sin. What about Jesus' resurrection? What about the Son of God? What about the preordained foundation of the world plan that God always had? What about that? Why do we have to keep celebrating the sin? Why don't we change tack and say, God, there's actually something you tried to do from the beginning. It's time for me to stop seeing myself that sits behind this. It's not not a self-glorification. It's the glory of the Lord that I'm looking at. It's the glory of the testimony of Jesus. It's the price that he paid. But I look into the mirror and I see a reflection back of the design of God for me. He wants me whole. He wants me healed. He wants me found. He wants me saved. He wants me declaring the simple words, Abba Father. That's all he wants. Abba Father, your will be done. Abba Father, your will be done. That's the dream of God. We should all have T-shirts that we walk around with that just says, Abba Father, your will be done. There it is. That's what God has built this whole thing for that you would say that and mean it. (laughs) How glorious. How glorious. It's the truest of all truths. It's what it means to worship in spirit and truth. The day is coming, Jesus said, and now is, that they won't just come to a mountain to worship, they'll worship me in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit crying out, Abba, Father, in your heart to him, that's true worship. I love this prayer that Jesus prayed. You know, we often call the Lord's Prayer, and it's traditional, and I'm not here to change tradition in five minutes, but, you know, the Lord's Prayer, our Father's art in heaven, that you know, in Matthew 4, and we say, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. That was Jesus teaching us to pray. That's our prayer. The Lord's Prayer, I think, is his high priestly prayer in John 17. John 17 is when Jesus is praying to the Father. It's like we've got a glass up to the door and we're listening in. Just before he goes to the cross, he's praying one of the last prayers he prays to the Father. And out of that, you're hearing the truest, cleanest expression of the purpose of why he was on the earth. Because he's going to the cross to finally accomplish it. And so he's praying, Father... I'm placing my hand in your hand. We're about to finish this thing. The thing that we began before the foundation of the world, the dream that was in your heart, Father, we're about to finish it. And this is what he prays John 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. He was talking about the disciples that had all fallen asleep. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Remember the mirror that you've got to look into? That's the glory that he's given us. The the glory that causes us to lift our chin from our insecurities and inferiorities and our mythologies and the words we want to tell God about how unworthy we are when he is screaming back to us something else that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation Of the world. There's that statement again. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. And get this last bit that the love with which you loved me may be in them. That the love with which you loved me maybe in them. What would it feel like to really feel the love of the Father as Jesus felt the love of his Father? Because if that's not what we're aiming at, then why is Jesus praying that? Is Jesus putting out an idea that's too far to reach, that's beyond human comprehension to frustrate us, to give us futile goals to aim at? Or is the lover of our soul directing us towards the very thing that will heal us, body, mind, and spirit? Is he giving us the key to our unified life with God that quenches the inner desire and gives us the liberty and peace that we've always wanted? I think the latter. I think that's why he prays it. He wants us to hear it. How many times did you hear Jesus say when he was praying in public, Father, I don't need to pray this for my sake, but I'm praying it so they will hear and they will believe. And Jesus prays this prayer so that we know what the goalposts are. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Folks, this is our healing moment. This is the moment where we get healed because when we feel the love of the Father, something shifts in here. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm no longer outside. My sin does not define me. My past will not dictate my future. The hope of tomorrow. Hope. Hope. This is why the Holy Spirit's trying to wake us up. Because we're standing in this incredible moment. Our existence is because God lets us be there. We are breathing Christological air. I'm alive because God says I'm alive. Now he wants me to wake up and go, Oh, Father. Because I'm already, I'm positioned near him. I'm positioned because of him. Now, as his words become alive in me and I abide in him, I start to breathe in and out now a new kind of relationship. I'm starting to see myself in a different calling. I start to see the inheritance that spiritually it's there. It's why Paul can say you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Because you've got the fullness of the Godhead that's backing you, that's saying, come. Come. Come, sit, let's talk, let's break bread together. Why is it so hard? What is it inside us that seems to recoil when we hear this? There's a part of us that, that says, and if it's anything, your heart's like mine, it goes, oh God, I just, how, how do I get there? How do I get there? There's something about this. Unworthiness and shame, the accusation of the enemy. The devil wants to come to you and say to you constantly, Yeah, but that all sounds good, but you know, what about yesterday? What about the way you came to church this morning, you angry thing? What about that sin from 10 years ago? What about the stuff that happened here and there? Nobody else knows, but I I saw it. Look at you. Prancing around like you're kind of holy, and now I know how filthy you are. And the accuser speaks out of our heads and something inside us that wants to do better goes yeah uh, I feel so unworthy that sin is so heavy on me and we put our eyes into our flesh rather than lift our eyes by faith and see the story of God and take hope lift our head and say hang on a minute I am not born for that I am a son of God get behind me devil Your accusation is flawed because Jesus is king. He is king, Jesus. My story is his story, and his story is my story. He is my big brother. He is my savior and king. He is my redeemer. He is the one who has gone before. He is the firstborn of many brethren. He is the one in whom, through whom, and for whom all things are created. And I belong to him. Yeah? When we focus on our sin, we put ourselves in the middle of the story again. What if we flip it and put Jesus in the middle? I want to say this, and I I don't want it to sound like heresy, but I want you to catch it. I wanted to preach that whole thing so I could say this one sentence without you stoning me. We often say, and I've said it from here, so please, you know, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. And I understand why we say it. But the truth of this story is not that I invite Jesus into my heart. It's that he invites me into his life. I get invited into his life. He is the one through whom and for whom is all things. I join him in his story. And I sit with him because he said it's okay. And he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come talk to my father like I talk to my father. Come walk with my father like I walk with my father. Come join me in my story. It's easier to say, oh, Jesus, come into my heart. I understand what we mean. And I think we should keep asking people to do that. But for the more mature here, we should understand what we're really doing. I'm joining him. huh? Because I'm not the center of the universe. He is. I reckon it's time to look into a new mirror. We go to Easter. We're going to sing about King Jesus. We're going, to, we're going to lift him up. And we do it because it's because of him that we live and move and have our being. It's because of him that we enter into this glorious, extravagant, beloved fellowship of our Father, the Spirit that empowers us, and the Son that makes it possible. We enter into the whole thing that's why we celebrate Easter could we pray together Father God you are the maker of heaven and earth you have designed our relationship with you God you have made us for yourself and so our healing and wholeness can only be found when we are in you. I prayed this morning, God, that you would take us a little further, a little deeper, open our eyes a little wider. God, allow us to see again and afresh and anew, to fall in love again with you time and time again. God, that we would, a little bit less of us, a little bit more of you, a little bit more trust that we can give you, knowing that you've already seen our life. You always hold our life in the palm of your hands. Nothing surprises you. You are a good father. God help us. We are your people. What an honour that it is to be able to declare that name. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I just love us to worship. I reckon the only response, I think, to the extravagance of God is to love Him. And it's really all He wants. Not because He needs it, but because it's good for us to worship Him. And He knows the best thing for you is to worship Him. God is not egomaniacal saying, I need worship. He looks at you and says, you need worship because it'll be the very thing that heals you. That's why he says, do it. So this morning, come on, let's, let's lift this roof. Let's sing the declaration of this song. Let's worship him. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you, or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.